Please turn with me to today's passage, which comes from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. You can also follow along on page 7 of your bulletin. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone down to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of God. Good morning, everyone. Happy uh, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, my name is Tim. I am one of the pastors here at Metro. Um, today, we'll be looking at the story of an evangelist, a eunuch, uh, and what this story has to do with you and me uh, over 2,000 years later. If you grew up in the church, you may have heard this story. It probably focused, uh, focused on Philip, and who was a faithful evangelist, who trusted the Lord, and how we too should faithfully go evangelize uh, the gospel as he did. In a lot of ways, it's not really uh, less than that. Um, for the past five weeks in this series on Acts, we've been talking about the spread of the gospel from the ascension of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, all the way to the persecution and the stoning of Stephen as a witness of the gospel. But this story is not just about evangelism. It's about how conversion happens. In verse 26 and 40, we see what are literary brackets in verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And in verse 40, Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Between these two brackets, where Philip is being called to, we see the subject of the call. God sends Philip to call the eunuch. And the eunuch believes the gospel and is baptized. It's a significant event because many scholars will agree that this is the first Gentile convert 
sparking, a, sparking an explosion of Christianity to Ethiopia, which was considered to be the ends of the earth during this time. Also, the story is about the effectual calling of God in our lives, or in other words, it's the story about how God is working out his will through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the work of his people. What does that mean? It means that whether you know it or not, God has called you before you were born. It means that there's hope for all of us because without this call, we would be spiritually lost, wandering the world, constantly working to find meaning, worth, and purpose. It gives hope to the ones who have given up, given up everything to gain the world, only to find that it's disappointed them. And it gives hope to the ones who've lost everything, because everything that is dead will be made new. All that is lost will be found. All injustices will be justified. And all wrongs will be made right. All the striving will cease, because you see that you are already in. You are already accepted. The question is, will you believe it? Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, wait a minute, hold on. Before you even start talking about believing this calling, I got some problems. I got some questions about this text that you just read. You're telling me that an angel told this dude, Philip, to go to the desert, and he just said, okay, yeah, sure, I'll go. The Spirit then tells him to get close to the chariot. Mind you, he somehow catches up to this chariot while he's walking on foot, and they're going in the same direction. They didn't meet in the middle somewhere. And then, it just so happens that the man is an important royal official. He's seeking the Lord. He's reading from a passage that specifically points to the Messiah. And then they come across a body of water in the desert, of course, and the eunuch is baptized. And then Luke, who is the author of this book, he wraps it up all nicely for us in verse 39. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again. Philip appeared at Azotus and traveled about. It's a pretty wild story, no? Why include all these unbelievable details? There's two ways to look at it. One, because it actually happened. I were to write a story trying to convince people about something, I surely wouldn't include some of these details that were probably unnecessarily difficult to prove or to believe. Second, there could be some rational explanations for some of these things. Some scholars say that Philip being taken away and suddenly appearing in another town was the result of Philip actually just leaving very quickly, leaving very hastily to the point where he, the eunuch wasn't able to have a proper goodbye. Two quick things before I get into the, the meat of this text. The Bible is full of unbelievable stories from creation, resurrection, and all the miracles. One common ground in all religion and all belief systems is that at some point, they all require faith. Some will say, yeah, but mine is based on data and science. 
The Bible is just based on a bunch of people who wrote it. My question to you for that would be, yeah, but who wrote that scientific data? Who did that research? Just because we don't understand something doesn't mean it's not true. And just because we can't see something doesn't mean it's not there. At some point, our, our understanding, our intellect, our research, our view of the world, there comes a point where things just become incomprehensible. We can't explain them. Do you have faith that all of the science and the research that has been done to this point in humanity is good enough for you to stand on? How about in 20 years? How about 100 years from now? Is it going to be the same? We have to leave room for truths that we don't understand or see. And that's what faith is. And we all have it in something, whether you're in Christianity or something else. Number two, real quick, it's okay to doubt. In fact, it's healthy to question, to express doubt and to struggle. Many of us probably grew up in a context where we were told, don't question it, just, just believe, stop asking questions. Are you even a Christian? We grew up in contexts where counseling, getting counseling was looked down upon. Just have faith in God. Why don't you trust him? In a lot of ways, this, this kind of thinking has been hurtful to the gospel. It's been hurtful to the church. See, doubt is actually what makes us strong because it reminds us that we need help and that we don't have it all figured out. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus tells the father of a boy possessed by a demon, everything is possible for him who believes. To which the father replies, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. In other words, I believe, but sometimes it's just so unbelievable. It's just so dark. It's just, I can't, I can't help see what's going on. I need help. So Jesus heard this man, and what did he say? I, I can't believe you have unbelief. No. He heard him, and he cast the demon out. The gospel is oftentimes unbelievable. The world is a chaotic place, and all of us are trying to make sense of it. And there's so much noise out there. So then how do we come to believe? In this passage today, we'll see that we believe through calling, we believe through community, and we believe through brokenness. We believe through calling, we believe through community, and we believe through brokenness. First, we believe through calling. How does this conversion happen? The gospel didn't spread through subversion, but conversion. To subvert something means to go to battle, to overthrow, to destroy, but to convert means to turn away and to turn toward. And so in other words, it means to transform. See, conversion first starts with a supernatural calling because our natural sinful hearts will fight against what conversion requires, which is submission. It's an admission that we're weak and that we're desperately in need. Some of the least used phrases that I'm sure all of us uh, have said or heard uh, to ourselves uh, is probably, I was wrong, I'm sorry, and I need help. We all know how difficult these things are to say to even a stranger, let alone our closest friends, our spouses, and sometimes our children. 
We need the Holy Spirit to move us to faith and belief. It's nothing of our own power. In fact, we do everything we can to avoid it because to submit means that we have to give up. We have to give in. In our minds, giving up something that we think is amazing, the best, for something that maybe is not so great. Our understanding of good is often incomplete and short-sighted. I have the privilege of uh, living a couple houses down from uh, some dear friends of mine who have a two-year-old son, and he's grown. Um, as he's grown, he's, it's been such a joy seeing him start to crawl, then walk, and then run. Uh, I've seen him go from babbling to grunting to talking. Um, and I've also seen him develop his own personality. Uh, some of the cutest and most uh, adorable moments of laughter and pure joy, but also, also some incredulous, confounded anger when he doesn't get his way. And when he doesn't want to go night-night to end what a wonderful day it was, stomps his foot. Let's go night-night. He doesn't know yet that sleep is an important part of his day. His parents know what's best for him, to get a good night's rest so that he can have another wonderful day tomorrow. But ultimately, no matter how much pouting or stomping he does, it won't stop him from going night-night. He's going to get there. The parents are going to make sure it happens. In a cosmic sense, even as adults, we don't always know what is best for ourselves. But God knows. He knows what's best. That's why understanding the effectual calling of God in our lives is an important part of seeing that God is effectively preparing for us to hear and to believe. We believe God has called us no matter how far we've gone. If God calls us, we will listen. What assurance we have knowing that we are in good hands, in his hands. It means we can trust today. There's nothing that we did to earn our salvation, and therefore there's nothing that we can do to lose it. We can surrender. And as we saw earlier, God sends Philip into the desert to preach the gospel to this man, this eunuch, who then believes and becomes baptized. And he becomes the first of many Africans to hear and believe in the gospel. We see here how evangelism flows through calling. Although the story seems simple, uh, it is so much more complex than that. Philip, known as an evangelist, a deacon uh, of the church, had recently experienced the martyr of a fellow evangelist and deacon, Stephen, at the hands of Saul. To listen to the call of God was a dangerous one, especially on a desert road, which would have been less traveled and open for thieves. In addition, the angel only tells him to go, no specific reason or purpose. And Philip obeys and heads down the road. You have to wonder what Philip was thinking. Maybe this wasn't the first time this happened to him. Regardless, Philip is called to go to, unbeknownst to him yet, a man that would ultimately take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Quite a mission, quite a journey. 
This man that he meets was no ordinary man. He was a foreigner, an Ethiopian. He was black. He was a eunuch, meaning that he was castrated, having lost his manhood. He was a royal, high-paid servant of the queen in charge of the treasury. In other words, he was a person that no Jewish person like Philip during this time would have normally approached, let alone share the gospel with. The spirit tells Philip, hey, go, go to that chariot that the man is in and stay near it. This brings us to how we believe through community. In verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Philip, obedient and faithful as he is, runs toward the chariot and hears the man reading from Isaiah. Regardless of nationality, race, status, geography, Philip shows us here that the gospel transcends all of these barriers. At some point, Philip realized that the gospel is for everyone, not just the Jews. However, not only did Philip approach, the eunuch offers an invitation to, to Philip to come sit with him. To do so during this time meant that there, that there was a great honor being given to Philip. The eunuch had high regard for him. Why would this royal official, servant of the queen, different nation, why would he do this? It's because he needed help. He was desperate, maybe even lonely, dejected. And he wasn't going to let his status, these side things, get in the way. What brought these together was not a shared heritage, shared nationality, shared race, or even a status. It was a desire to obey and to know God. Rather than letting what would normally keep them apart get in the way, they put aside their prejudice, their status, and their pride. True community, gospel community, is one where both parties, rather than looking out for themselves, for their own selfish gain, submit to one another out of love, at great cost and risk to themselves. Many of us, rather than inviting someone in to help us understand, act as if we already know. We talk and live as, we, as if we understand, and so we don't learn. We say, yeah, 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 I got it. We don't change. We miss out on the experience of truth that transforms. And as a result, we lack joy because we're constantly working so hard to keep up the image that we're doing okay, that we have things under control, that our lives are happy and satisfied. We don't want to be bothered. We're fine with life the way it is. 
See, we say we love community, but it's just the thrill. We like the thrill of community, not the responsibility. And at some point, people will stop running toward you. Maybe that's what we want. And for some of us, maybe that's what we have. Maybe that's what we got. We end up lonely. We end up blaming God. We end up blaming the church as to why we're so miserable. Countless times the Lord sends someone in our lives, but we don't listen. And we have the audacity to ask, how did I get here? Why is this happening to me? Oftentimes the reality is we choose the path that we're on. I'm going to talk a little bit about community. I think it's uh, one of our favorite words here at Metro. Uh, community this, community that. I'm all about community. For many of us, community has become a pretense. It's become a euphemism for doing what we want, but feeling good about it. It's become more about building ourselves up rather than others. We align ourselves with those most like ourselves so that we feel validated and that we feel safe. It's a place where our idols are comfortable and there's a little cost to pay. Genuine gospel community, however, comes at great cost. You see, the goal of true gospel community is not to affirm you, it's not to celebrate you, it's not to accept you, although it does and it will. The true goal of gospel community is to rescue you it's to transform you. It's to redirect you because you need to be saved. We're on the wrong path. True gospel community is not just a place where we can be ourselves. On one hand, it's somewhere, yes, where we can be real and genuine. On the other hand, it's a call to help one another love Jesus more than the idols of our hearts. Are you an agent of gospel subversion? Or are you an agent of gospel conversion? In other words, are we corrupting and confusing the gospel for those around us? Or are we helping them transform? The eunuch was transformed. He was baptized by Philip, meaning he, meaning he was affirming his belief. And how did this happen? It happened through brokenness. Everywhere in scripture we see God working through the broken, Elevating the weak, changing history through the marginalized, the overlooked, the sufferers, the powerless, the poor, the outcasts. And it's no different here. Why was this man a eunuch? Eunuchs were highly trusted, especially as servants of the queen. Not only did they lose their manhood, but they had no family ties, they had no descendants. And they were completely loyal to the kingdom. If you were a lower middle class person and you wanted to rise to power and to riches, this was one of the ways to do it, to garner trust, to move up from the royal court. This eunuch would have given up any prospect of family and children, which at the time meant permanence and a legacy to leave behind. It meant everything. This was your lifeline. Without it, Essentially, it meant you were dead. You were nameless. You were without an identity. It also meant the end of your reputation. 
Status-wise, you would have gained power within the royal courts, but societally, being a eunuch was humiliating and actually looked down upon. He would have lost his honor. He would have been viewed as unclean. So why did he give all that up? It's because he was intoxicated. He was intoxicated by power, by wealth, by influence. He wanted to be in the highest circle. He voluntarily gave up the true measure of wealth, family, descendants, offspring, because he was tired of not having enough and being powerless. It was a terrible price to pay. It was a costly price to pay. But for him, it was worth it. At some point, something changed. Why would someone who had gone through this whole ordeal of giving everything up, getting what he wanted, one day he decides, I want to go to Jerusalem to worship God. Now, this, this, this trip uh, was no normal trip. This trip would have required about five months each way. So we're talking almost a year. It would require an entourage of servants and guards just because of how dangerous it was going up on this road. He would need to get permission from the queen and it would be at a significant cost. So why does he do it? Because he was deeply dissatisfied. He was lost and so he was searching again for the next court, for the next place to be in. Imagine how disheartened he must have been. Once arriving at the temple, he goes, I'm going to get in, I'm going to go worship. Probably brought a lot of sacrifices, only to learn that he could not enter due to an Old Testament law that prohibited eunuch's entry. Not only was he literally cut off, but he realized now that he was also spiritually cut off. And today, power and status come in many different identities. For some of us, it's having a good family, happy, successful children. For some, it's finding our worth and identity in a well-respected, meaningful career. Or how many maybe likes or followers we get on social media. For others, it's about finding affirmation in love or freedom and security in wealth. For some, it's just about doing just enough to be comfortable. Whatever the case may be, we all want to be in because we want to be known. We want to be loved. We want to be seen. It's why we work so hard. It's why we spend so much of our money on our children. It's why we spend so much of our money on our education, our homes, our looks, our significant others, our friends. We want to be in the right neighborhood, in the right relationship, in the right schools, the right careers, the right status. It's why we have no problem giving up our time, our bodies, our integrity, so that we can advance, so that we can be in. We compromise our lives, we compromise our values, we compromise our integrity to find purpose, love, and worth in the world, only to find out, and if you haven't yet, that you will ultimately be, be rejected. It won't be good enough for you. 
On his way back from Jerusalem, the eunuch, he's broken. He's disillusioned. He is disheartened. And he's still searching. He comes across a passage that must have been like looking in a mirror. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. He reads here in Isaiah 53 and sees someone who became unclean, who was voluntarily cut off, who was humiliated and had no descendants. And so this eunuch asks Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And so God sends Philip to be with the eunuch during his darkest, most disillusioned days, his deepest moments of brokenness, having given up everything only to be cast out. He had no name. He had no life. He was a broken man, which made him open and willing to learn and to listen. The eunuch's brokenness opened the path to an encounter with Philip. He had a humility and a desire to submit. A proud man would not have had such an inviting spirit. This should give us great assurance. First, it's a reminder that God cares for us. He is near to the brokenhearted. Second, it's a reminder that we are not forgotten because of our sin. And third, it's a reminder that God works through our brokenness. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. You see, there was another man that came from royalty. His name was Jesus. He was the king of kings. He was the Lord of lords. And he also became a servant. See, as the eunuch who was once whole chose to be broken to move up, Jesus, who was whole, chose to be broken, to move down. They both paid a price. Jesus paid the ultimate price to be in the lowest position. He became unclean. and He was humiliated. He was mocked by the people, the crowds. He took on a journey that would cost him the ultimate price, his life. And he was cut off from access to his father, now forsaken, his body, the temple, destroyed. And on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, he was saying, I am thirsting. I have been dried up. My lifeline has been taken away. I have been cast out. I have been denied entry to the one thing I desire most. My identity is gone. Why did he do this? In Isaiah 53, a couple of verses before, it says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
Jesus substituted himself for us as the sacrifice, the true lamb to pay the penalty that we deserved. He lost his access so that we could have access. True power, true wealth, true security, it's ours. It means that we're in. We won't be turned away. This means that we can have a new identity, a royal identity, a righteous identity, and we can be whole again. If you feel like you're broken, this is the good news of the gospel for you today. This gives us life-changing, transformative power. It's an end to our guilt because the price has been paid. It's an end to our desire for love to be known, to be seen, because you are loved with an everlasting love. You are seen with the King of kings. You are known by the Lord of lords. It's an end to our search for identity because Jesus, the perfect one, is your identity. It's an end for our need to be in because we are invited. How do you get it? You believe what the Lord has done for you. And you ask the Lord to help your unbelief. In Isaiah 56, only a few chapters after this passage that the eunuch and Philip were kind of talking about, it says this, Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. Now think again, you're the eunuch. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name. Better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name. That will not be cut off. You have to wonder what kind of freedom and joy the eunuch felt reading that. Christianity exploded in Africa soon after. From being someone who had been cut off from the temple, who had no name, no legacy, no descendants, the gospel uses the broken, the outcasts. Be encouraged. The Lord is near to you. That is the inheritance and the promise you have today, that we have today. And to the degree that you see that your sins have been forgiven, oh, your joy, your joy will be overflowing. Four very quick things to close. One, trust that God has called you. Two, fiercely defend true gospel community. Three, surrender freely your brokenness to Jesus who invites you in. He invites you in. And four, regularly remind yourself that your identity is in Christ. Let's pray.